The following audio is from Living Acts Church in Tyler, Texas. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com, or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Living Acts Church. Good morning, church. If you uh, have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. Uh, Today we're continuing to walk through this gospel by looking at a conversation between two pregnant women. So it should be a lot of fun. I'm excited about it. Uh, What we've seen up until this point is that Luke begins this gospel by introducing his purpose statement. He says that uh, in the early verses of chapter 1 that he's decided to write an orderly account for his friend Theophilus so that Theophilus would have certainty about the things that he's been taught And Luke points out that he's followed all of these events very closely. So he wants to assure Theophilus that what he's writing is is trustworthy and true. And then after that introduction, we've seen two important events take place in the gospel so far. So first, uh, we learn about an Israelite priest named Zechariah who uh, was in the temple when an angel came to visit him. And uh, told him that his wife, Elizabeth, who was barren, was going to have a baby boy. And the angel tells Zechariah that this boy will be named John. He will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And he also says that John is going to turn the people Israel back to the Lord their God. But we saw that Zechariah doubts this message from God delivered by the angel. And therefore, God takes away his ability to speak until the time comes when the promise would be fulfilled and Elizabeth has their child. And the next major event we saw in chapter 1 was when we were introduced to a woman named Mary who was betrothed or engaged to a man named Joseph. And we read that she was visited by an angel named Gabriel who announced to her that she was also going to have a son named Jesus. And the angel tells her that this boy is going to be given the throne of David and that his kingdom will, will never end. And obviously Mary is confused by this and she's, she's asking, how, how is this going to work out because she was a virgin? And as Mary, or as Andy taught us uh, last week, we saw that the Holy Spirit explained that, or the angel explained that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and then miraculously give her this child. And another thing that Gabriel tells Mary is uh, what's happened to Elizabeth. He announces to her that uh, Elizabeth is, is also going to have a child by the miraculous power of God. And we see that, that Mary's response to this is really great faith. She, she trusts God and says to the angel, you know, may God's will be done. I'm a servant of the Lord. Now this brings us then to the passage that we're going to be looking at today, which is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. So uh, if you guys would please stand with me for the reading of God's holy word, again in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah, And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown great strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I want us to, uh, we're kind of going to divide this passage up into two sections. So first I want to focus in on verses 39 through 45 and dig a little bit deeper to see uh, what's going on. So uh, in our passage, we see the two worlds that we discussed earlier collide, right? Both of these women have been visited by angels and uh, have been, been told that God is going to miraculously provide for them a child. And here we see those worlds coming together. So uh, it isn't crystal clear in scripture what the exact relationship between Mary and Elizabeth is. Um, the King James Version translated uh, this word singinous as uh, cousin for a long time. So it was kind of assumed that Mary and Elizabeth were first cousins, but that word actually just means relative or, or kinswoman. So uh, we're not sure. She could have been, they could have been first cousins or fourth cousins or, or related in some other manner. But uh, nevertheless, we, we read that Mary goes to visit her relatives. And uh, when she greets Elizabeth, verse 41 tells us that the baby leaped in Elizabeth's womb. Okay, now this is incredible on, on so many different fronts. Elizabeth's son John, as we'll continue to see throughout our study of the gospel, was called by God to prepare the way of the Lord by announcing the coming of the Messiah. And here, even from his, his mother's womb, he begins to fulfill that call by leaping when Jesus enters the room as if to, to announce to everyone the Messiah is here. So already we're seeing prophecies fulfilled. If you remember in Luke 1.15, we read that uh, the angel told Zechariah that this baby would be filled with the Holy Spirit even from within the womb. So obviously the real takeaway here is that mothers, if you're pregnant and one of your other pregnant moms comes to greet you and your baby like kicks you really hard, you should probably keep them separated after they're born because they probably won't be good friends. No, I'm just kidding. That's not, not at all the, the point here. And um, uh, obviously there's, there's something incredible going on that will fulfill prophecies. Uh, and, and yet there's also something I think that, that sticks out in this passage when we read it in 2020 America that we can't help but, but notice. Uh, and that is the fact that uh, there is such fullness of life that is present in the womb. The Bible is most certainly clear that real, dignified, God-glorifying human life begins long before actual birth. And I, 
I don't see how any Christian can claim to believe that this word is true and yet hold a position to the contrary. Now, as we read on, we see that Elizabeth understands the significance of what her baby boy had just done. In verse 41 and following, we read that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Okay, so God fills Elizabeth with his spirit and Elizabeth gets it. Okay, Elizabeth understands that Mary's child is the Messiah. So she begins ecstatically proclaiming this blessing over Mary. She considers it such a great privilege that the mother of her Lord, the mother of of her, uh, 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 that her Messiah uh, would arrive before her. And when Elizabeth tells Mary that she's blessed among women, she's actually keeping with Jewish tradition at the time, uh, which would have said that, Uh, A woman's uh, greatness is in part measured by the greatness of the children that she bore, uh, which is kind of a a difficult thing, I think, for us to understand in our day and age because it's very common that uh, we'll go to to great lengths to avoid ever having children, right? But um, when you look at ancient cultures, they understood kids as this divine blessing. And even in Scripture, we see it very clearly taught that the children are gifts from our Heavenly Father. So, so Mary, in this sense, is more blessed than any other woman because of the fact that the son that she's going to give birth to is the Messiah. Elizabeth then concludes this blessing by drawing attention to the fact that one of the reasons Mary is so greatly blessed is because she believed the word that was sent to her from the Lord. And as we're, we're reading this gospel, it's clear that, that Luke is, is uh, showing us a contrast between Zechariah on the one hand and Mary on the other. When the angel came to Mary or came to, to Zechariah and, and delivered that word, we know that, that there, was, there was doubt. He didn't trust in this message. But Mary, on the other hand, is really pictured as the model disciple because she believes God's word and submits herself to his will. Now, before we uh, move on to Mary's response in this situation, I want to just say something briefly about uh, how Christians ought to think about Mary as we read her. As Protestant Christians, we clearly don't share the same type of view of Mary as uh, Roman Catholics, okay? We don't pray to Mary. We don't claim that she was uh, sinless. We don't do a lot of the things that we see within the Roman Catholic Church regarding Mary because we find them concerning, unbiblical, and even at times blasphemous. Uh, However, I think we need to make sure that we don't end up swinging to the other end of the spectrum and say that Mary was just like anyone else. I think it can be tempting to want to avoid the errors of Roman Catholicism to the point that we really don't give much attention to Mary. But Uh, It's clear that like many faith-filled believers in Scripture, I think we would do well to learn from and to imitate Mary. Uh, Because just like we're called to do, we see that she trusted wholeheartedly in the God of her salvation. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be imitators of me 
as I am of Christ. See, God has given us stories of great men and women in, uh, in the faith who, uh, as we read through Scripture, we should be, be seeking to imitate their faithfulness. And it's not because they're perfect, it's not because they're going to save us from our sins or anything like that, but it's because in these stories we see a glimpse of the faithfulness, the faithful living that God is calling us to as well. So let's move on now to see how Mary responds to this event in verses 46 through 55. She begins by saying, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So here, Mary rejoices in God and praises him because she understands that God has seen her humble estate. Okay, so this this notion of Mary's humble estate refers to the fact that she was not uh, wealthy or powerful or really even significant according to the world's standards of this day. But now she was rejoicing because God looked upon her lowly estate and blessed her. And as I was reading this passage this week, I I couldn't get my eyes off of those words, for he has looked. Every human, all of us who have ever lived, have this innate desire to be seen. Okay, and this is not an inherently sinful desire. Obviously, we know that, that we can make an idol out of this, and it's not healthy to want to be the center of attention or to, uh, you know, um, worship and, and prioritize our fame or anything like this. But what we see expressed here is that we all have this desire to be, to be known, right? And this is really a good and natural expression of, of our desire to be near to God, to be known by Him, to not be ashamed, but to be loved, and here, Mary represents those among God, God's people who are outcasted, or not cared for in society, and yet who faithfully serve God. The joy that she experiences here is a joy that, that we too can participate in if we recognize that God is not overlooking the lowly and the downcast in our society. He's not overlooking his quiet and humble servants. And as a matter of fact, as we go throughout the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see more and more that that he's trying to draw attention to the fact that that, that God desires to exalt those who are lowly. And the the lowly, those who are are suffering in society, those are the people that Jesus came to, to save, right? So hear this today, if you are, are not living, living, uh, living if you're not living a, a, a glamorous life by the world's standards, I know that can create a lot of discontentment and, uh, you know, envy and, and all these different things that can be hard to deal with when we look at people who seem to have it all, right? But then we look at ourselves and uh, we don't feel like things are going our way. I think that God's word would say, if, if you're in that state, if you're if you're living this lowly life, then rejoice. Rejoice because the, the world is fading away. And all these, these temporary praises of people is going to fade away with it. And what will remain is the everlasting praise of God. So rejoice in your lowliness because God gives grace 
to the humble. And it may not be that in this life he ever exalts you, right? I mean, we're not probably all going to be like Mary and have this incredible event take place here that, that's a reward for our, our humble service to God. But the promise is, is certain that as we faithfully serve him in our suffering, one day we will be exalted in his presence. And let's not overlook verse 50 as well, that God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So God's mercy extends to all who earnestly seek it. If you desperately desire the mercy of God, it's because you you understand something. It's because you understand that you have sinned greatly against God and that you are in desperate need of that mercy. You understand that, that apart from his mercy, you're lost and hopeless. And apart from his mercy, you are under the fires of his judgment. Those who desire God's mercy are those who righteously fear God. So I I think this morning I would love for all of us to to pause and to, to look deep within ourselves and to really ask, do we have a healthy fear of God? Because the, the plain truth that we see in this passage is that if we do not fear God, then there is no mercy left for us. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and, and it's not, again, that this is some, some matter of our salvation, but rather what's being pointed to here is that if you don't fear God, then that is evidence that you don't know him. You don't understand the gravity of your sin and your heart has been hardened against him. I think we, we really need to understand, too, that rejoicing in God and fearing God are not opposites. Okay, sometimes I think we try to, to make ourselves a little bit too black and white and uh, think that things are just going to uh, work out like an equation. But as, as people, we're complex, right? We have a, a complex array of emotions and experiences that, that we have. Um, but, but fearing God, rejoicing in God, they're not opposites. They actually go hand in hand. Psalm chapter 2, verse 11 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Mary then continues in verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Okay, so in in the latter half of Mary's song, it seems that Mary is basically speaking as though the works of the Messiah were complete. Like many prophets of old, she, she begins to rejoice in the promises of God as though they had already been fulfilled because the certainty of God's word was unshakable. She knew that God's word would not fail. So she praises God for displaying his, his power through the scattering of the proud. She says that God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. So you see this contrast here between those who, who are lowly and humble and, and tremble before God in a righteous fear and then those who are, who are prideful and independent. So maybe you're here today 
uh, and like me, you understand that you struggle greatly with pride. I think that, that a word from, uh, from God today would be that if, if we're wanting to know how is it that I deal with this, this, this pride, this self-absorption uh, that I have, I think one of the remedies that the Bible provides is learn what it means to really fear God. And, and, and I realize that this would take a whole nother sermon, so we're not going to dive into this deeply, but fear is a it's, a, it's a tricky thing, right? We can fear something because it's unknown. We can fear something because we're afraid it has ill intent towards us. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons that we can, we can fear things, right? Um, but there's, there's a right and healthy fear of God, even for us as Christians who know that we're saved and forgiven, by the blood of Jesus, there is still a right trembling and understanding that he is holy, that he's creator, that he is omnipotent, and that he is fully righteous. And there is still sin present within us. So, so the humble person is the person who fears God in righteousness. So Mary says that God has given the hungry good things and the rich were sent away empty. And here we're seeing more of this great reversal that Andy taught us about uh, in his first sermon on the Gospel of Luke. This great reversal that the kingdom of God established. That the, the rich will be starving while the poor will have more than enough. And I think we want to be careful as we think about wealth and poverty as we're going throughout this gospel. Because as we're going to see, Luke hits very hard on these kinds of issues in his gospel. Now we have many affirmations in scripture that financial gain is actually a good thing, right? It's actually a reason for, for glorifying God. Just one example that we see in Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 19. Behold what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. Okay, so when we work hard and God gives us success, we're called to praise him for that. Okay, there, there's nothing wrong, and it's very biblical, this idea of, uh, of, of enjoying the fruit of our labor. However, what scripture also calls our attention to is that, that the rich tend to only be self-concerned. There's, there's often this greedy uh, and stingy attributes and uh, a tendency to only want to look after one's self while neglecting the poor and the less fortunate who are suffering. And especially, again, when we consider the first century culture where so many people were either destined for wealth or destined for poverty because of their social class, we see that there's this great injustice in the fact that the rich keep their treasures to, to themselves while the poor suffer and starve. So what, what Mary is saying and what Mary is rejoicing in is the fact that the kingdom of the Messiah will bring about perfect justice. Those who hoarded their, richer, their riches for selfish gain will lose everything, while those who, who humbly served Yahweh, even through the pains of poverty, will one day be highly exalted. 
Then Mary concludes her song of praise in verse 54 and 55 by saying that he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So Mary is now connecting God's covenant promises with the work that is going to be accomplished through her baby boy. It's through Jesus that God will help Israel and also fulfill his covenant that he made with Abraham and Abraham's offspring forever. Okay, and we know that, that all of this ultimately finds fulfillment in the death and resurrection. Because it's in the, the death of Christ that the, the sins of God's people are atoned for. Even those who came before Jesus, their sins are cleansed through the sacrifice and shed blood of Jesus. Because God pours out his wrath on Christ, the wrath that you and I deserve taken by Jesus. And it's in the, the resurrection that really we see the, the new age, the new creation, the new covenant begin. We see that all who are united to Christ by faith have this, this sure hope laid before him. That because they're one with Jesus and Jesus has been raised from the dead, that they too will one day be raised in newness of life and unto eternal life on that day. So in closing today, I, I want us to reflect on the fact that all that we just read about took place because God used John while, while still in his mother's womb to announce Jesus the Messiah. I mean, God had prepared everything else that was necessary for this moment to occur. Okay, he sent angels to Zechariah and Mary. He gave Baron Elizabeth a child. He gave the Virgin Mary a child and then told her to go and visit uh, her relatives in Judea. So, so this is, it's really an incredible picture here, right? If God can use John from inside his mother's womb to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Christ's coming, I mean, is there really anything that he can't do? You know, I mean, that's, that's incredible how he's sovereignly orchestrated all of these things so that, that John the Baptist, even from inside of his mother's womb, would be able to proclaim the announcement, the coming of the king. So, so I think this is a perfect picture for us that, that as we uh, think about this great commission, this task of proclaiming the good news that Jesus is coming, we need to remember that it's not about us, right? It's not about the, the skills that we have. God is going to sovereignly ensure that his gospel goes forth. And we, instead uh, of, of, of worrying about thinking that it's all on us, we get to step into these opportunities that God has already been working in for, for much longer than we can even imagine. All we're called to do is to step in in faithfulness and obedience, to, to go and to, to spread the message of the gospel, knowing that God is the one who is working behind the scenes. He's going before us, and he's laid these good works out ahead of time. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you, God, that our love for you is predicated on the fact that you first loved us. God, we thank you that while we were yet enemies, that Christ died for the ungodly. God, we thank you that uh, all that we have is not anything that we can boast in, but it, instead we, we owe it all to you. We owe it all to your glorious grace. 
God, we thank you for stories in scripture like the one we read today that display your miraculous power. God, we thank you for uh, just the incredible reality that we can be assured of that you are a God who works all things for your glory. And that as we faithfully follow you in obedience to your word and to the commands and vision that you've laid out before us, we know that you are with us. We know that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And you've given us everything we need to take the greatness of the gospel to this city. God, we pray in Jesus' name that you uh, would make the gospel first and foremost in our hearts, that it would never become dull to us or lose uh, its brilliance, but God, that we would humbly sit before your word and before the cross every day, that we would rejoice even in our sufferings, knowing that one day true, absolute justice will come whenever you return. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on Living Acts Church, please visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com, or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Church.